And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album. I am the author of the book, Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is inspired. Lisa Goich, my friend and producer of the program, is alongside a little under the weather this week, having getting double walloped, uh, but COVID doing the most damage from what it looks like. It uh, looks like you've been, and we're safely distanced, don't worry, folks. But yes. <laughs> uh, it looks like it looks like you've been um, you've been through the sweat box, shall we say? Yes, I have been through the sweat box. I'm actually sweating now. Isn't it crazy? I think of the time that we did our first COVID um, interview. Remember when the guy from Santa Clarita was locked up in right. the tent, and uh, you know it was at the beginning of our show, like right when our show first started. And uh, and I, I up until yesterday, I avoided it. I have been. COVID free for three and a half years. And was that as a result of of, uh, deliberate efforts to avoid it? Lots of masking and avoidance, not going out, all that, or just luck? Uh, Masking, vaccinations, boosters. You know, I took it all very seriously. And got all the, how many did you get? How many vaccines and boosters have you gotten? uh, One, I got the main vaccine and then two boosters. Okay. You know, but the last booster was a long time ago because I thought, oh, but well, this is done, right? It's over. We're not going to have this anymore. Right. And then, um, you know, here in California, it's a little different because people are wearing masks still a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see them at stores and stuff. I noticed in Michigan when I was back there, it's a little different. Like not as many people are wearing masks in stores. So that's helpful. Cause and like yet I always, you're the one who has COVID. Yes. And yet I'm the one who has COVID. Uh, yeah, here exactly. in Michigan, we are not. I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> Well, we wanted to go quickly for you and, uh, of course, not be anything too serious. And you're young and spry and you'll you'll battle it off. Young. (laughs) Thank you, Mitch. Yeah. Young at heart. Young at heart. Yeah. Well, it it speaks a little bit to what I want to share with everybody. And this is not going to be perhaps the most conventional of our podcasts uh, where I play you some clips from my conversations with Maury and recall how some lessons are resonating even today. But there was an incident that took place that was never recorded between myself and Maury that I have been thinking about a lot lately. Maury didn't watch a lot of television, but once in a while we would have it on in another room. And only if it was playing like the news. And it was. And Maury and I happened to be watching the news when there was a report about from a a war-torn country. Might have been in Bosnia at the time, in the mid-90s. And they showed some footage of people suffering. You know, wounded people, an explosion, things like that. And Maury began to cry. And I said, why are you crying? And he said, well, it's just so terrible what's happening to those poor people. And I said, yeah, but we're here. You've never even been to that country. I don't know if you could find it on a map. You don't speak the language. And he said, well, Mitch, when you yourself are getting closer to death, as he was, you find yourself totally sensitized to everybody else's suffering. And when you are going through suffering and pain, you are more empathetic to other people's suffering and pain. 
then when everything's going good for you and everything's healthy and, and, and you're just interested in having fun. And I thought about that a lot. And I think about that a little bit in looking at you, Lisa, and seeing how you're fighting against this, this virus. Um, in light of where I was last week and why I could not do a podcast. In case those of you who are regular listeners noticed, we didn't have a show last week. So I was in Haiti at our orphanage, the Half Faith Haiti Orphanage in Port-au-Prince. And while I was there, the government, our government, issued a all Americans should get out of Haiti right now statement. That doesn't mean all the people who work for the government or work for the embassy in Haiti. They got out weeks ago. This was anybody who should happen to be there, a tourist, uh, a volunteer worker, an exchange student. Get out. That was the message. Get out of Haiti. And that was while you were there, right? That was while we were there. And the reason why is because gangs, which have taken over, at some estimates, 80 to 90% of Port-au-Prince, which is the biggest city in the in the country by That's far. That's insane. Uh, were on the move, even in a few of the neighborhoods that were still left. And they were battling in this one place called Carrefourfait, which is a key neighborhood because it borders a bunch of other neighborhoods that they could, if they could take that neighborhood, they could kind of make a line right through. And our neighborhood of our orphanage is one neighborhood over from that. So this fighting is rapidly approaching our doorstep. And we have learned in recent weeks of the techniques of these gangs and how they terrorize the people there. They come into a neighborhood screaming, hollering, making noise, and they set houses on fire. Ah. They pick some of them. They just set them on fire. I don't care if people are in them or not. They just set them on fire. My the God. goal is to get everybody panicked. And then everybody comes out of their houses and they start shooting. Again, don't care who they, who they kill. And they're trying to get everybody to run away. And once people run away from their houses and just leave them, then they go into the houses and they loot everything they can, ah. steal everything, and then take it back to their base headquarters where they can sell it for more weapons, more guns, more firearms that continue to terrorize people. So as if, as if it isn't enough of an insult that you get chased from your home, your possessions are being used to fund the guns and the terror that then take somebody else's home. Wow. And I spent the better part, if not almost all of my waking hours, while I was in Haiti, discussing things like concrete guard shacks that we have now built on the exterior of our orphanage. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight now, eight now that uh, are either there or finishing construction that we did not have before. They are gun towers. They are towers in which somebody stands and holds a gun. And, and, and it has a little opening, you know, in the concrete so that the concrete will protect the guard, but he can see out with his gun and shoot at who's ever coming from the borders. I spent 
endless hours constructing new high 20 foot, 30 foot high walls uh, and barbed wire and fences that can be electrified uh, in case somebody tries to climb over them and spent a ridiculous amount of money on a camera system to put in internal cameras and external cameras to try to warn us about people coming. And I'm now employing 12 full-time security guards at all times. Uh, and that means 12 in the morning day shift and 12 in the evening and nighttime shift. So really 24 different guards, all of whom are perimetered around the orphanage with the goal of trying to keep it from being ransacked and taken over by people who would come and attack it. Now we are an orphanage. Can we just take care of poor children? But it makes no difference to these gangs who we are told if they should get into our neighborhood, we were advised like, just run, get out. Don't wait around. Don't wait to fight. Get your kids out, get your teachers out, get your staff out, run. And I say to them, okay, and where do I run to with 100 people? How can you even run? Yeah, you can't. How do you move 100 people? So we've had to make contingency plans with some transportation people we know there about if we should send an alarm, we've got to get six cars, you know, and a couple of vans. And how many kids can we get in each car? And which adults would go with each car? And when would, you know, let's do a drill so we know everybody knows what car they get into to run away to run away from our home, our home wow. that we've spent untold amount of money trying to improve and raise, whatever, and we would have to run away from it if this happened and then try to find some place to put ourselves. There no place in Haiti really is safe at the moment. You, you know, some places are less hot than others, but eventually they could turn very quickly too. And how could I get all these children out? We've even explored, you know, trying to get them to the United States just on a you know temporary basis to try to protect them from being yeah. killed. That's what I was wondering. Could you bring them over, you know, here? Well, not easily. What is There's the... a lot of paperwork issues with that. If oh, they were at the terrible. border and they walked across, there wouldn't be any issue if they were at the southern border, but they can't get to the southern border. So you can't fly in or take a boat in or anything unless you have the proper paperwork. But... The point I'm trying to make here is that few of us, lucky as we are and privileged as we are, have to ever worry about physical attack, um, terrorism at our doorstep. And that's what this is. It's daily terrorism. It's daily terrorism. Terror is designed to scare people into having the the desired effect. Terror doesn't always have to involve an airliner or a bomb or anything like that. Terror can come from, you know, people just wielding guns or screaming or walking through with machetes or walking through a town. And that's what these gangs do. They just terrorize towns and terrorize people, make them too scared to even fight for the basic things like my house, my home, my car. Instead, people just run. And you've got all these refugees now in Haiti who have no place to go. I can't tell you how many people we've either accepted or been asked for, can we come live with you? We lost our home to the gangs. Wow. And these are full families in some cases. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this.
Hi, this is Rachel Yucatel, and I'm here to invite you to listen to my podcast, Misunderstood with Rachel Yucatel. This podcast delves into the lives of those who have been reduced to a single headline. Each episode will take a closer look at the stories of those who are on a mission to change their narrative. Join me as we uncover the truth behind the misconceptions, shed light on the stories of those who have perhaps been wrongfully portrayed, explore the complexities of the human experience, and celebrate the power of second chances. Who doesn't love a good comeback story? So when you have to consider your basic security, your basic ability to sleep through the night, wondering if you're going to have to get up and run, that is a, a fear and a terror that we really don't have to face, most of us here in the United States. Unless you live in a war zone in some inner city, you're not worrying about getting shot in your sleep, mm -hmm. but it is a real worry in Haiti. And what do you do when that kind of terror is, is right in front of your face? Well, I can tell you that it, it puts everything else into a perspective. And you very quickly say, well, we don't have time to deal with that now. We don't have time to deal with that now. You know, everything sort of drops a little bit like what Maury has talked about many times in this program about once he knew he was going to die, so many things seemed unimportant. So many things were just not worth his time. Not going to get caught up in petty arguments, petty disagreements. I don't have the time for that. Well, you kind of feel the same way when you're under siege. It's like, okay, yeah. we, we can't talk about whether we're having eggs or cereal for breakfast this morning. You know, we've got to get this wall up. We've got to get this guard check up. Where are we going to get the guns to provide our security guards in case they have to shoot? And thinking about these things puts you under such enormous stress and such enormous anxiety that one psychiatrist I know likened it to saying, you're like living in a war zone. You know, the advice I would give you would be the advice I would give a soldier who was on patrol who never knew what day they were going to start shooting or where he could step or something might explode. And living with that daily terror is something that is, is, is rare, rarely experienced by the average audience, certainly the people that we're talking to. And I want you to ask yourself, as you're listening to me, what is the most terrifying situation that you ever found mm. yourself in? Mm. What is the most terrifying situation you ever found yourself in? Lisa, how would you answer that? Jeez, mm. I don't know. Like terrifying. Mm. Fortunately, I haven't had any real terrifying moments in my life, you know? Um, well, you're lucky and you're typical. Uh, you know, most yeah. Americans wouldn't have what we would call. Now, not you can't say, oh, when I went on the roller coaster at Cedar Point, I was no. terrified. Or I, I, went, I, I went into uh, freshman English class and I had to stand up and make a paper. I was terrified. You know, I don't doubt that at the moment you felt terrified. But was that really a terrifying situation or were you well, just nervous or anxious during? Well, I mean, like 9-11, I think, was terrifying for all of us because we didn't know where that was heading. So even if you weren't in New York or Washington, D.C. or anywhere where these planes were, were heading, right. 
um, you didn't know if there was one heading to your own backyard. So I guess that was a moment of terror that we all felt, right? Yeah, that Um, was a moment of terror, for sure. But a personal one that just happened to you, ask yourself, folks, what was it? And did it involve your potential loss of life, potential loss of home, property, or or, or otherwise? Uh, If it didn't, we're all lucky compared to what, imagine what our kids in Haiti or the families that they came from have to deal with every day. Will I still have my house at the end of the day? Will I still be living here at the end of the day? That kind of terror takes a toll on you. And I have been struggling with it, you know, trying to sleep, trying not to have every uh, waking minute of the day spent looking at, you know, my iPhone. When I'm here, I get these updates from the security services about where there's trouble. And, you know, they say shooting just reported on this street. It's like a, it's like a police scanner, only right. it's the messages. Shooting reported on this street. Tires reported burning on this street. Dead body found in street on, on ah. this street. <clears throat> avoid it. You know, avoid this here. Don't drive there. Traffic backed up. And that has to be hard because you're not there. You're here. Right. So it must make well, you feel it's hard when I'm, It's hard when I'm there, too. Right. Uh, you know, I just got back and it's, it was checking it every minute while I was there, too. You don't even know. We had to rush to get to the airport because all of a sudden, Sunday morning, I think is when we left, or Monday morning, um, all of a sudden, barricades started going up in different neighborhoods. You know, literally Jeez. barricades of old cars and tree trunks and things like that. And nobody was quite sure why, but they started going up in one, they started going up in the other one. And we got the call saying, you need to get out now. You need to get get to the airport now before you can't even move in the city. That kind of daily head game leaves you exhausted, leaves you depressed and feeling kind of hopeless. And it is a challenge that I think all of us and all of you who are listening face in some way, shape, or form with our own personal terrors, where we don't know how to fight back, where we are told certain rules inhibit us from doing this or that, and where we don't aren't sure you know, when the enemy is going to strike. And in those moments, what gives you comfort? What gives you comfort? Now, I ask that rhetorically i i I don't have one answer i can tell you for me there's a lot of praying involved a lot of belief that you know well god wouldn't put us in this situation just to fail and if we have to run leave this behind there'll be another situation you know as long as the kids are safe and as long as the kids are alive we'll figure it out Uh, and i try to draw some comfort from that but i also try to Be prepared for every contingency that can happen. Well, they could come over the walls here. Well, they could shoot over the walls here. We should make sure that we have something blocked there. Trees that are blocking the view over here are big lights that we can uh, blast, uh, turn on so we can see them coming or whatever. Um, That's such a shame. Sort of think like that. Yeah, it is a shame. It's so hard. I mean, I, I look at, you know, all the work that you did on on building this home and re- renovating it. And it looks like such a beautiful place. Like, you know, take all of the other stuff happening in Haiti away from it. It's such a beautiful place for these children to be, you know, and you guys put so much love and care into it. 
uh, it's sad. It's so sad to have to live like that. Yeah. For what? Like for what? It's a, it's a shame, you know, as I'm telling it here, but the real shame is that the kids have to live like this every day. They have to wonder, you know, are they going to be okay? You have to wonder if, if bullets are going to come, even that aren't meant for them are going to come flying over the walls and land on them. Um, So when we're faced with real security issues, we realize that all the stuff that we get caught up in about what we need, what we need, think about how we say that sentence. I need to feel this way. I need more security. I need to feel more confident. I need my partner to be more supportive. I need more validation at work. I, I need more respect from my classmates. I need more. I need, I need, I need. No, you don't. What you need is to assure that you can live to the next day. First, that your health is not endangered, that your safety is not endangered, that your life is not endangered. And then that you can get enough sustenance to make it through to the next day, which is the second part of what we do in Haiti. After that, your needs are kind of met. And the rest starts to become, okay, how do I enhance my life? How do I get deeper into things that I want or that will make my life a richer experience, a more rewarding experience, a more creative experience? But your needs are really what you find your life boiled down to when you think a gang is coming for you and you have to decide what you're going to do. That's your needs. And it's, it's been very eye-opening. And I hope not to forget these lessons when hopefully things calm down. Because right now we're in the thick of it every day and I'm on the phone all the time until we go back there, you know, trying to make contingency plans for moving an entire orphanage if we have to. So, you know, I I know I've rambled a little bit here, but the point I'm trying to make is that all we really need is to know that we're going to be safe, fed, have a place to sleep, and, and, and not have to worry about our life being in danger when we step outside. And if you have that, and that's all you're hoping for, it can be a beautiful day the next day. You know, like, okay, I'll take the conditions I'm living in, the money that I'm having to deal with, the problems that I'm having with my family, all that. Just let me know that we're going to be safe and and secure and can stay in this place. And I'll take care of all those other problems. Those those are small. It's a great life perspective lesson. I think Maury was all about perspective. Life in the shadow of death. His was a death that was inevitable because of decay. What I'm talking about is even worse in some levels because it's not inevitable. It's not necessary. It's totally unnecessary. It's not justified. It's evil. It doesn't have to exist. People are letting it exist. There's been no intervention by anybody on the outside because people don't care about Haiti. Mm -hmm. We are sending, not to be political, but we are sending billions of dollars to a country that's nowhere near our shores to fight a war and keep its people from dying. But I'll leave you with this statistic. Do you know how many civilian deaths, murders there have been in Ukraine since the start of the year till now? About 1,900 and change. Do you know how many civilian deaths 
murders there have been in Haiti from the start of the year till now. 2,500. Jeez. And almost 1,000 people kidnapped and tortured and harassed during the kidnapping process. Zero kidnapped in Ukraine. And Ukraine's getting billions of dollars and help and aid and tanks and, 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 and flyers and all the rest of that, planes, and, and Haiti gets nothing, nothing. And so it's a, it's a very tough existence. It's a, it's a rough way to live, and it, but it does shed some light on what our problems are in the course of a day. And it's easy for somebody to say that, oh, you know, you should be grateful. You this, But of course, people just live in the world that they live in. I, I understand that. I don't expect everybody who's got a, a decent house and a decent job and a decent car to to, to, to wear sackcloth all day and say, oh, the poor people of Haiti, I can't enjoy myself until, until all of them are fine. We live where we live and we know what we yeah. know and we are our environments. But it is something to keep in mind now and then when we start to say, I don't have what I need. Need is a relative term. <laughs> yeah. It's a relative term. And I've had a very good education in it over the course of the last week. We appreciate you joining us every week on Tuesday People. You can go to wetuesdaypeople.com on the web to find out more. Lisa, we hope that you feel better. And by next week, you'll be chipper and charming as usual. I hope when we meet next week, yes, I have a whole different story to tell. Thank you for sharing your story about Haiti. That's really, you know, I know our listeners, because we always say on the group that we we didn't have a show this week because Mitch is in Haiti. Right. I think it's it's um, important for everybody to know what really happens there, you know? And if you want to help, it's very simple. HaveFaithHaiti.org. HaveFaithHaiti.org. You can read about it. You can learn about it. Um, this is not an infomercial. It says, I know that people say, well, how can, what can we do? How can we help? If, if you're so inclined, you can do that. HaveFaithHaiti.org. Yeah. What's important is keep the kids in your prayers if you're so inclined to pray, uh, because I believe that that makes a difference. And, and I know the kids think so too. We will see you again shortly, hopefully just seven days from now. Until then, on behalf of producer Lisa Goich, I'm Mitch Album saying, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.